Do you know, ITV called me a cyber investigator, and I love that so much. It makes me a CI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that is nice. I don't know that what that nice. means, but I love it. <laughs> you could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. We have another European guest with us today, which means that Prasanna and I are once again up at uh, the crack of dawn. So uh, good morning, Prasanna. Uh, Good morning, Curtis, I think. It's, yeah, just... (laughs) It is is morning. Unlike the last recording, I got coffee this time. I actually so. just heard you sip your coffee, so I was oh, like, Curtis, <laughs> Curtis is probably going to be waking up as he's drinking more and more caffeine, so this should be good. That's really funny. I, I know it's a very sensitive mic. Now I know just exactly how uh, sensitive. So our special guest comes to us all the way from Ireland, although she's apparently a displaced Brit. Uh, she is a cybersecurity specialist, and she's been in IT for about 10 years and cybersecurity for about five. She is recognized as one of the 50 most influential women in cybersecurity UK for the last two years. And she's also a big supporter of Operation Safe Escape, which happens to be a U.S. nonprofit. It helps survivors of domestic abuse and also uh, helps them get out of abusive situations. So welcome to the podcast, Zoe Rose. Thank you for having me. You're a bit off on that, though. I'm actually not British. Oh, you're, wait. Oh, what? <laughs> You could keep that. I don't care. <laughs> that, and to be honest, everybody in Ireland, because of my accent, thinks I'm British. So you will never guess it. But um, uh, you, if you look north of your country. Canadian. I Canadian. Mm-hmm. Wow. Boy, you are just uh, you're a, an international woman <laughs> of mystery is what you are. <laughs> In, in Europe, when I did sound Canadian, uh, people did, if they'd never been to Canada, they did assume I was American, uh, which as a Canadian, I don't want to be associated. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to be called yeah, American. We, yeah, we, um, yeah we, get it. we get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so that's not why we have you here on the podcast. I reached out to a number of my influential folks on Twitter. And I said I was looking for a cybersecurity person. More than one of them suggested that I reach out to you. Oh, lovely. Nice to have you uh, on the podcast. Cheers. I, I don't know who, who reached out, but I hope oh, I'm not, oh, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> Curtis is like, I will um, never reveal my sources. Yeah, there you go. Fair enough. We, we talk a lot it, on this podcast about ransomware, mainly from, uh, hang on, uh, I don't, can you hear this? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a coffee? Cup number, that's cup number two. Cup number uh, two. I've got a cuppa, but I'm sorry, that's tea. Uh, I know what a cuppa is. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I am bilingual. I speak both English and American. <laughs> I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do the accent, but uh, it, it'll, it starts to sound like Dick Van Dyke and um, uh, Mary Poppins. Poppins. But yeah, uh, and my accent also, if I try to do an English accent, it just literally hops around the, you know, the UK, right? I, I love the Northern accents, I, so they they come out a lot, and then I love this, I love the South London accent, so it comes out a lot, and 
it's just it's just a mess. So I'm not even going to try. But I do know what a cuppa is. So we, when we talk about ransomware, we generally talk about it from the recovery standpoint, right? Um, a, it, it, it's one of the reasons that you need to back up. It's one of the reasons that uh, I, I think you should be backing up your laptop, for example. And while you, you need to worry about a lot of things. Uh, and, and it's one of the reasons that you need to separate. So, you know, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about the three, two, one rule, which is, you know, three versions of your data on two different media, one of which is somewhere else. And, and that's never been more important than right now due to ransomware. My point is, we usually talk about that end of it. We don't normally talk about the front end of it and, and all of the things that cybersecurity people do to protect companies from ransomware. And so when I saw yet another ransomware attack, uh, and I, I haven't seen anything more than the initial news, and I don't know if you have, I, I, I wanted to reach out. I said, you know, we should get somebody that actually knows about this stuff and have them on the podcast, which is uh, why you're here. And the news that started this whole thing was the attack on Honda, which mm-hmm. actually shut down operations uh, for at least a day. I, I think it might have been more than a day in some locations. I know that some of them got back. H- have you seen any initial news or any additional news about this? Just that it was they were still slowly rolling it out, and because of COVID, um, because of the issues that you know that caused and the apparent demand shortage, uh, they might have. I think they had said they might shut down some places actually. Um, can't remember exactly but now the the last update i got was just uh regarding the type of ransomware and um obviously honda's <laughs> update on their website that is very oh i didn't even see that it wasn't really a statement it's just saying a cyber incident was detected at this day there's no evidence of data oh, really? loss. <laughs> really? That's, yeah. that's so helpful. Yeah, no, literally, I, I could I could read it out to you. So that's how short it is. The only thing that, from my point of view, that I was like, okay, that's okay, is, um, do you remember, <laughs> do you remember, uh, you know Equifax, what happened there? And that oh, yeah. interesting situation where they decided to purchase a brand new domain name. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you remember that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. they purchased a new domain name and, you know, they sent the uh, link on Twitter to the wrong domain, to one thankfully owned by a ethical uh, researcher, I believe it was. Um, and uh, so that was okay. So Honda didn't make that mistake. They did, like, I'm looking at their report right now, and it says honda.co.uk, and they have a specific page on, you know, Honda Cyber Instant. Uh, it's a very short page, mind you. Right. But it does exist on their website, which is a little bit more reassuring it doesn't um, what it does exist on their website oh, as okay well, okay right um the other side is the email they say if you have any questions contact us by email or by phone and the email whilst is going to a different domain honda-eu.com it is one they've owned for a very long time so that's a bit reassuring they didn't make that really interesting mistake but the lack of information, the lack of clarity uh, is a bit concerning. And also, if you're a follower of the Breach News, they've not had a very easy time for the past couple of years now. So that's a bit 
disappointing. So tell me, what what do you mean there? They were hit with WannaCry in 2017, was it? Um, they also had the unprotected Elasticsearch database, uh, database with highly sensitive data into 2019. Then obviously COVID, and that's causing a lot of problems for obviously everyone, but, you know, for them too. Um, mm-hmm. And then now they have this ransomware, which is the Ekens ransomware, if I'm saying that properly, um, which is specifically targeting ICS, which is actually quite interesting, is the way it goes about it. What's ICS? What, what, yeah, thank uh, you. Sorry. What, what does that mean? Sorry. I always forget that. Industrial control systems. Gotcha. Oh. So the manufacturing. So it's not just ransomware. It's ransomware targeting this sort of clientele. Like if it targeted me um, and my computers, I mean... It would still suck, but it's not specifically tailored to me. It's tailored to a big organization like this, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that's actually fascinating that, that I, I actually, I, I, I guess I knew there were different flavors of ransomware, but the fact mm-hmm. that there is one that's specifically targeting ICS uh, is quite interesting. I don't know how new it is, because I, I didn't realize, I, I mean, okay, so there is a lot of ransomware out there, you know, all, all these different flavors i suppose you could call them or families or whatever they all have different reasons for doing this and they do things in different ways but it stands to reason that there's probably a type of ransomware out there for anything that makes sense but Mm. the thing i liked about this one specifically is um i think the dragos uh, blog post actually touches on it is it's not only targeting ics it's also forcibly shutting down specific services Mm. So in an industrial control control system or an infrastructure, you've got specific surfaces that have to run to be able to you know do the stuff they need to do. And right. the fact that they're targeting that and shutting those ones down is quite interesting to me. Interesting, yeah, that is. So so just curious, like uh, this 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 is a it's one of those questions that like I, I almost I'm embarrassed to ask, but just <laughs> how big of a problem is ransomware? So. I'm, I like, it's hard to explain that because, because here's the thing, the statistics that I have, yeah, mm-hmm. are not going to be a hundred percent accurate. Nothing is ever a hundred percent accurate, but when it comes to ransomware, that a lot of times do people talk about it? Because if you're hit with ransomware and you have to, de- you have to declare any time something affects your customer's data, yeah? But it doesn't affect, in the, maybe in one situation, it's not affecting the customer's data and there's no evidence of leakage. Do they report it? I, I understand exactly what you're saying, right? So there's, there's a bit of a shame aspect, so people don't mm-hmm. report it. I, I'm actually not even sure that Honda would have reported this as, as far as... Right, right. Because uh, there's also the the when the story broke is when someone in Honda posted uh, some sort of uh, signature email, right? to one of those sites that uh, and there was a domain name. That was how the story broke. Right, there, mm-hmm. there was a domain name that that was part of Honda. Uh, so I, I wonder if 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 that hadn't happened, whether or not they they would have even reported it. Yeah, I mean, I suspect when it comes to the impact that it had, they probably had to have reported something because eventually somebody okay. would be like, why is everything shut down? Um, right. They're like, COVID. It's COVID. It's totally COVID. It's not, yeah, it's not yeah that's what I was going to say. I mean, potentially they could blame it on that. And I'm not saying that, you know, they weren't trying to be transparent. I don't right, know. Right. I'm not in 
in with them. I don't know what their approach is, but but you do always run that risk of, you know, when, whenever you're choosing, are we going to report or are we going to notify or are we not? You know, it's not just the legal requirements you have to look at. It's also your reputational damage. Yes, right. the damage of, yes, we've been hit with a cyber incident, but even worse, you know, court of public opinions receiving a notice that you didn't notify me that you, you know, you're not transparent mm. that something happened. Right, right. Am I going to trust you? So going back to your actual question, uh, mm-hmm. how big of a problem is ransomware? Well, according to the Verizon data breach, data breach investigations report for 2020, it found that actually 27% of all malware incidents were ransomware, which is quite interesting. Um, so 27%, that that's pretty that's pretty decent. And that, that's of the investigations that they have. Obviously, it's not everything completely but um they did say that compared to the report last year so 2019 ransomware increased at 2.6 percent which is Mm -hmm. pretty small but i think the biggest point of view from the i guess the biggest point that i take away is ransomware isn't going away you know ransomware is very hard to investigate it's very hard to you know find out who did these things you know who is this malicious actor because a lot of times when you're hit with ransomware just recovering is the what we need to do you know just being able to get back to working again is so vital and then also on top of that trying to investigate it for a lot of shops that's not a possibility like I've done many instances where I'm like, okay, well, give me your logs. And they're like, what logs? <laughs> or, you know, and, and you laugh, but it's true. I mean, I imagine yeah, you yeah. have to deal with this too. And, and, and just imagine being hit with ransomware and being like, we can barely afford to go back to normal. Are we going to now decrypt all of these logs? Like, can we afford to? Right, right. You know, and then if you don't have the backups, as you said, you know, they're, I wrote an article where I call uh, what did I say specifically? I think I think I called it the secret we- weapon to ransomware is backups. But oh, there's also- I love it! I need to find this blog post. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, I'll send you a link later. Um, but um, but it's it's the reality is if you've got it there, you know if you can recover quickly from backups, brilliant! Like that's excellent news. But that's not the case for a lot of people. And a lot of ransomware out there. Also, you know, it's not stupid. You know, the, de- the developers of it are not stupid. They know that that's how you recover from it. So they go and seek it out and delete it or go seek it out and encrypt it too. You know, they- yeah, and and that's and that just to so so now you're now you're in my backyard, <laughs> um, and this is why two things, right? We harp on two things. One is. If you're going to be able to successfully, uh, really e- easily recover from a ransomware attack, you don't need just backups. You need a full DR plan, a disaster recovery mm-hmm. plan that's able to basically act very quickly mm-hmm. and bring that system back up. And then the other is you should not be storing your backups on premises especially on Windows servers, uh, on files on Windows servers, right? The, the number of stories of people that, uh, companies that have had their backups hacked at the same time as their systems, it, it just, it just, just kills me. 
right? So back to you. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just couldn't, I just couldn't not say anything. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. Like that disaster recovery business continuity approach is vital. And, and from my point of view, like I get, I see what you're saying from your point of view of uh, of backups but also the people side you know the holistic side I mean it's all fine and dandy if you have backups for I don't know uh 24 hour backups yeah like I can restore from yesterday but if the mm-hmm. cost of restoring from yesterday is too great to your organization or yep. the cost of the time it takes to restore that also is a failure you're not going to be able to do it. So you're going to have to exactly. pay them. So there's so, so much complexity to it. Um, I have seen, now this is a bit stepping on toes because obviously this is your area, but I have seen some solutions like the one I wrote about uh, quite recently. Um, I'm not, obviously I've never, I've, I've not actually used their solutions. So I'm not going to say this is the best solution ever. Um, but one thing that Peer Storage did actually comment on is they have something that, it's almost like a fail safe. So even if everything else fails, your backup can't be deleted because we have to go and work with your team to be able to delete it. Or you can't delete it. We have to work with your team to restore it. But even if your admin tries to delete it, they can't. And I'm sure there's a lot of solutions out there that do that. But that one kind of fail safe there is one thing that I think a lot of people just don't think of what happens if you know we have an insider that deletes a backup and we don't know about it or what happens if accidentally we we delete it or what happens if you know (laughs) the malicious actor whoever it is because there is some ransomware that actually doesn't do everything automatically that I can't remember which uh, strand or version or flavor whatever you want to call it it was but it's a more um, manual process where it's you go in get everything you want and then deploy it kind of approach um Mm. and um and that one it could be you know maybe i maybe i go through phishing i gain access to your admin account i delete your backups and then i deploy it which i'm pretty sure is exactly something i read recently of one company having to deal with that and you know there's so much complexity to it so i think when i say backups the secret weapon i don't mean just having a bloody backup i also mean a disaster recovery plan, business continuity right. plan, and you know proper processes. I can't speak today. You know, you say proper disaster recovery plan. To me, one of those is going to be something that I can enact relatively quickly and relatively low cost, comparatively speaking, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, most companies their DR plan is, you know, either a box of tapes in Iron Mountain. At best, it's a raid array sitting in, in an offsite location, which means that they are now going to begin a restore process. If your DR plan begins with a restore, right, uh, in the traditional sense, you're going to be there for days and you're going to you're going to have a cost of downtime, which you're going to have to calculate into the whole recovery process. Like Honda, just imagine how costly that is every minute yeah, exactly. that you're down. I don't right? want to imagine it. <laughs> I don't want to. The, the other thing that I thought was interesting is in that Verizon data breach report, which I absolutely love their reports every year. If you've ever read them, they're quite funny, actually. But um, in, in the top threats of incidents, ransomware actually plays sixth which is quite high, actually. But mm-hmm. when it came to breaches, ransomware placed 13. So 
I would say there's a bit of a catch there though is an incident obviously it's an event that has impact like it's an incident mm-hmm. yes that's mm-hmm. fine a breach is where it's like okay but what you know of that incident has any data been lost has any you know sort of like unauthorized access happened you know those sort of things so it's a bit more granular and a lot of ransomware incidents i don't believe would be considered well they're not breaches right because they're it's not stealing the data it would right? kind of, i mean it depends on how you define it if i define right. it in my personal view i would still say it's a breach because this person got access or this tool or this data. yeah this code of some sort god i, I mean i sound so non-technical there <laughs> This magical stuff, uh, the fairy dust got access to the system and it had unauthorized access because obviously it's doing something it shouldn't do. So I would still classify it as a breach, but I don't know if everybody would. So I think that's right. a kind of the main difference there. Um, also, and going back to what I said before is, okay, well, we know we got hit with ransomware. Do we know anything else that happened? Well, we can't afford to unlock those logs. So I guess we'll never know. Like maybe the breach, maybe maybe somebody came in, stole some stuff and then put ransom there, ransomware mm-hmm. there to mm-hmm. distract you. You know, I, I imagine that happens. That's got to happen. Kind of a distraction in order to infiltrate some. Right. Or, or you know, just to cover the tracks. I mean, there's so many different things that could happen. I can't validate without the logs, that, but if I don't have the logs, you know? So one, so one piece of advice I'm getting from you then is to remember to protect whatever logging systems that you have in addition to whatever your production systems are. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it goes back to like looking at what is business critical. And right. when, for example, if I'm, you know, if my building's on fire, what, what's the process? Well, I'm going to get a new building, probably, hopefully, um, and I'm going to send the most important teams there. I know that sounds really awful, you know, prioritizing people, but I mean, obviously, I'm not going to leave them in the burning building, but I'm going to, you know, set up the teams that are most business critical. And then when the building is restored, I'm going to set up the least business critical to go back to test to make sure it works to then the most business critical to then go over and in my mind that's the same when it comes to data you know we want to protect the most business critical data we want to have the backups we want to have the resilience and all that's fine and dandy but when something happens you know obviously you know our financial data is important but also the investigation data is very important that is really interesting yeah it's kind of almost like in the past you would think about like backup infrastructure is kind of usually an afterthought after you've built the app and deployed it and then you'd be like, oh, now I should protect it. It seems almost like what you're saying is like, hey, you should also consider like logging infrastructure and your other mechanisms that you need to actually understand what's going on in your environment. That should also be part of deploying an application, not an afterthought. A hundred percent. I think I think the biggest challenge and the thing that I constantly harp on and I probably annoy people to no end is security doesn't start once it's built. And actually, if you look in GDPR and it talks about obviously security and privacy by by design and by default, it talks about, okay, from the start, I think it only talks about by design, actually, but from the conception of the idea, those privacy things, uh, privacy controls need to be in place. It's the same with security. From the conception of the idea, from the very beginning, you need to figure out what the vital pieces are and you need to protect them and build them in a way that is resilient. And that includes having proper backups. That includes having, you know, redundancies. That includes identifying 
we can afford to lose this data, but we sure as hell cannot afford to lose this data. I'm going back to something you said earlier. I'm just curious, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but if ransomware is number six, what's one through five? Phishing, number one, use of stolen credentials, number two, missed Delivery, number three. Misconfiguration, number four. Shopping. Password dumpster, number five. Trojan, ransomware, and then RAM scraper. And if we go... Uh, It's interesting. When I look at like like phishing, phishing, many of these other, well, specifically phishing, Mm -hmm. is one of the ways that I might try to deploy ransomware i would think oh yes of course of course of course these are just the these are these are the top actions that happened you know to to i guess initiate it but Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so the top threat action varieties in instance it's their figure 12 the first one and you're gonna laugh at this is dos uh denial service hacking yeah Uh, the second one is phishing the third is loss or error and then other, and then DOS in malware, and then ransomware malware, um, and then more down there. Uh, the number figure 13, which I thought uh, is what I more look at, is uh, top threat action varieties and breaches. That's where it says phishing, stolen credentials, other, I don't know what other stands where I have to read it, but um, that would, oh, it says it's a mix. Uh it other represents any enumeration not represented by one of the categories. Eh, fair enough. Misdelivery, misconfiguration, and privilege abuse. All of these different things. You know, they're all they're all things that you see. If maybe not every day, but if you, you work in security, these are all kind of things that you're right. used to seeing. The other part I thought was interesting is exploit von hacking is uh-huh. is a ninth. So phishing is one. Stolen credentials is two, and then all the way down to number nine is exploit vulnerabilities. So I think that when we market uh, security and the most important things of security, and you know all of those things, we kind of forget the priorities, and we don't use <laughs> well, we don't we don't use the intelligence side. When I'm setting up a secure, like a secure environment, and I'm trying to maybe maybe the company has been having issues with phishing, either targeted, general, whatever. I don't look at oh who clicked that link. What a silly person! I don't say that. I would never say that. What I would say is okay. What security controls do you have in place? So do you use Office three six five? Okay. Do you use their APT, um, which is advanced uh, persistent? That I was gonna. I was going to say something so funny. I was like, and then, and then I was like, wait a minute. Because, okay, so I, I use um, Advanced Persistent Ferret on my Twitter. So oh. uh, on my Ferret Twitter. So when I was going to say, I was like, wait, that's definitely not a ferret. <laughs> Why am I thinking ferret? <laughs> Sorry. Besides the point. Uh, anyway, but that, so that looks at, um, that that's their... Um, threat intelligence kind of stuff so that has controls like uh blocking common um file types that you know you don't need like i shouldn't get an email with an executable in it i shouldn't mm-hmm. so you know those sort of things i also look at you know how are they doing their um monitoring of links like if i receive a link is it tested through their uh web filtering at all or is it just go ahead click all the things i don't care you know like how are we protecting the users from these general phishing, how are we protecting them from the things that our system can do automatically? Because right. 
I'm not expecting a user to go in and spend five minutes for every email they get and saying, should I click this link? (laughs) Right, right. Well, I know this, I know this, I know that, I know that. You know, I'm not expecting that. But I would say that my first test or my first validation when an incident happens after obviously we've investigated it is, um, and, you know, remediated any actions that need to be happened is, okay, well, what controls do we have in place? So what can we protect the users, not just from, you know, malicious actors, but also accidental, you know, all of those things. Maybe they typed in the domain wrong and it's just off a little bit and something happens, you know, like there's a lot more to it. But the next thing is then I say, okay, how are you teaching them? Are you saying, do not do this, do not do that, do not do this? Or are you saying, well, this is your normal workflow. You are expected to get attachments because maybe you work in accounts and invoices a common thing. Okay, so how do I protect you without you having to spend extra time validating every single thing? You know, I mean, I'd love for them to spend that extra time, but in a lot of situations, that's not feasible. It just, that's just not something they can do. And so instead, I teach them, I don't say, do not ever open an attachment. I say, Okay, when you receive an email, does it have is it coming from an external source? Yes, because mm-hmm. it's got a little flag that's saying it is. Okay, do you recognize that sender? Did you expect that email? You know, there's a lot of different things right. to it. So common sense things that you can apply. I would say not common sense because it's I think Well, they're lot, common sense to you. <laughs> they're common sense to me, yeah. But I think a lot of people forget that not everybody has the best intentions. You know, I I may send I may send an email um, to somebody saying, "Oh, how are you? Um, you know, I'd love to learn more about you. What's your I don't know? What's your date of birth so I can give you a birth account?" You know, like <laughs> but then I right, also yeah. think, uh, "Where do I use my date of birth to validate an account?" You know, right, all of right. those. I mean, another really common one is those questionnaires going around online. Mm. Um, what's your royal name what's your hacker name for some reason a lot of like what's your other name and and the information you provide it's funny a lot of times it is funny I mean if they sent a questionnaire saying what type of ferret are you bloody hell I'm clicking on that (laughs) but to be fair I would question the type of information they give and right. I wouldn't use an answer that I would if because there are some places that still require security questions. Unfortunately, I would not share the answers to those security questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have that in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, exactly. are, are those actually useful, by the way? Security in questions? Terms sec- yeah. In terms of. A terrible, terrible approach. Why did anybody think it was a good idea? <laughs> what? Like, OK, so. give How you do you really feel story. about this? <laughs> bloody hate it but <laughs> but i'll give you an example there is a public uh like a government service thing here that you have to give um security questions in ireland you have to give security questions uh for your account and so the it gets better you not only have to give security questions you don't set the account up yourself you sit across from a computer uh from a person on a computer <laughs> and um and they set it up for you. So they say, choose a security question and give me your answer. And I will type it in. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you bloody kidding me? Yeah. So I sat there 
And she asked me, okay, well, I was like, okay, well, that's my security question. Didn't matter what the question was, because all of my answers were random generated strings. Well, actually, some of them, uh, I don't think it validated if it had numbers or not. So I imagine it was, I basically treated it like another password. Like that's, in my opinion, that's how you should do it. But anyway, she clearly had never seen somebody do that before because she would ask me a question and I would give her a slip of paper with a very long password. And she was like, nice. what? She's like, you're weird. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She's like, that's a really weird maiden name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the worst part. And that's the part that bothers me so much is why things like mother's maiden name. Why would that ever be okay? Do you know what my surname is? Rose. Do you know what my mom's maiden name is? Rose. I'm not going to use Rose as a security question. That is such Mm. a stupid thing. But I suppose at one point, I don't know, somebody somebody had the best intentions but failed miserably. But anyway, um, I'm trying to be positive. I like to be positive. But the reality is it's not user-friendly. It's not... It's not a good way to do things because on the other side of it, whilst I do do security, um, I love security, I love networking, I love all that. But I also, the reason I like it is because I like that connection. I like connecting the dots, troubleshooting, getting context. I love context. So another thing that I do, um, which you probably know actually, is um, I do a lot of OSINT, so open source intelligence. So... Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Scott Helm, and I did an episode with ITV and an episode with BBC Click Live, which was a ton of fun. But essentially, the audience, unbeknownst to them, they were doing their show and we were researching them. So for the BBC Click Live, we had over 300 targets. Um, it was so much fun, honestly. Uh, for the ITV, we had, I think it was six or eight ladies, and we just looked them up online, found all the information we can about them online, and then we presented it to them afterwards. And some of it was absolutely hilarious. Like the way that BBC Click Live went about it is they presented um, as if it was a seance. So the, um, the guy kind of presenting what we found he uh, pretended to I guess hear it or something oh that's funny yeah and then he'd be like oh I hear I hear this letter and I see this and really it was through a mic in his ear we were feeding him information through him like um from the back and it, it was brilliant <laughs> it was brilliant that's funny and by the way that 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 did there there's something that I neglected to mention in your uh bio and that is that you are an ethical hacker Technically, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, I, I find that such a funny term because I, I the ethical bit is what I like. That is important. Ethics is a right. vital part. Having a skill, having a um, something you can do, you need to do it in a way that helps and better society. So that, to me, that ethical bit, that is my gem. The hacker bit... I laugh a bit about because this is why a lot of times people will tell me that only hackers are really security people, you know, hacking is so sexy and that's, that's the cool part of security. And I'll be honest with you. I view hacking as like being a hacker as a point of view. I view it as looking at something, not for what it's meant to do, but for what I can make it do for me. 
So I would look at, you know, this account, it's meant to do that. What can I give myself access to further than it's supposed to? How can I use this solution to work further for me? That to me is hacking. Um, and in my day job, uh, a lot of the time, <laughs> breaking into things is failing over and over and over again. But then that one time <laughs> right. you succeed. So it's not like the movies where they show, oh, yeah, it just takes five seconds and I'm in. <laughs> and if it does, that's a bit sad. You know, if it does, <laughs> right. that's that's that Honda breach that was their elastic search because do you know how that happened is that elastic search um, database, the reason they had that breach is because it was not secured at all. There was no password on it. So Oy. that mm. is that <laughs> is the TV version, the telly version of hacking. The reality right. is that does happen, obviously, but hacking itself is I would say it's a mindset. Yeah. Do you know, ITV called me a cyber investigator, and I love that so much. It makes me a CI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that is nice. I don't know that what is that nice. means, but I love it. <laughs> I've often called it white hat hacking, right? Um, mm-hmm, you know, from mm-hmm. the old white hat, black hat days. Uh, yeah. I immediately go to the movie Sneakers, which I'm assuming you've seen. Yes, Please tell I me you've seen, seen this movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. it, it would seem like it's required watching for, for someone in your business. And and again, in that movie, a lot of, you know, the attacks are people-based, right? It, it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, what, what's the word? Uh, social engineering, right? Yes. Yeah. If you ever get a chance to talk to or see Michael Bezel, he runs Intel Techniques. He's mm-hmm. ex, uh, ex works with CIA or FBI mm-hmm. or whatever. He's American as well. He's absolutely brilliant. He has these beautiful books. I was on his podcast a while ago and it was like the greatest moment of my life. Uh, not, <laughs> not, say that, not to say this isn't, but uh, he's like my absolute hero. So it was really cool to have a chat with him. But he does yeah. a lot in intelligence, obviously open source intelligence, and he also does, you know, social engineering and all of those sort of things. And he's really right. good at it. It's really. It's I fun. I have a friend who is an ethical. I don't know what you would call it, but he he he's a physical breach. Uh, yes. Person. So, so his, his job is to get thing. into places. Yeah, and you know his job is to just get somewhere in a building that he's not allowed to be, take a picture. And then get out. <laughs> and the, his stories are, are absolutely fascinating. It's very similar to, you know, the ethical hacking kind of thing. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of uh, social engineering involved uh, of trying to get somewhere that he's not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. The reason social engineering works, the reason phishing works, is because we're just playing off of human behavior. That assumption that people have the best intention. I mean, when I was doing that investigations of the audience, a lot of the times I'm looking at pictures that parents post of their children and the information that they provide on that. I'm looking at, you know, achievements that they want to share with the world. And because that's how we feel a sense of achievement as humans. We want to collaborate. We want to celebrate with other people. The internet has created a brilliant way to connect all of our different individual communities to one big community to celebrate together. The problem is when people with not so great intentions uses that information. I mean, an example I use a lot is, um, two examples I use a lot, is uh, one person came to me because uh, they had a situation where their Facebook account was taken over by a known terrorist group. 
and they said, you know, why? Why would they take my account? Like, there's no, re- I have nothing, nothing. But when you are a not so great group of people uh, and you're trying to target other people to, you know, take action that is not legal, how are you going to reach out to them? Well, you want to do it on social media platforms because that's how you connect with people. But to do that, social media platforms go out of the way to try and remove fake accounts, remove terrorist accounts, remove militia. You know, they, they don't want that on their platform. So they try. However, how do you get around that? Well, you can't just create, it gets really, it actually gets quite challenging creating a bunch of fake accounts. It's, it's not easy to do. So you take over existing accounts that are known legitimate and won't be picked up by those uh, checks. And so you'll take somebody else's account. So she was like, there's nothing here that they would want, but I'm terrified because now they know where I live, they know all my personal information. But on the other side, that was what your personal information, whilst it wasn't the valuable bit, it's still scary that they have it, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to belittle that, but the value was in your account itself. So maybe you yeah. aren't the direct target, but your account has value. The other example I use is a lot of times people talk about, you know, oh, well, you know, I only published my friends or I only, you know, share things that don't have identifying information in, blah, blah, blah. And I talked about this uh, one person in one of those episodes I was target, um, that I was investigating the audience. And my example is she had posted a picture of her son who was playing um, football or football. Um, uh, soccer and it was a very cute picture he he was very young and he had a little certificate saying his achievement and from a you know point of view of a normal person that's really cute good job on that kid from the point of view of a cyber investigator i love that job title. <laughs> uh, i'm gonna use it from now on um from that point of view the information that that gave me is i knew his routine I knew his physical location because he's in a uniform. Uh, I know his routine because I know I can look up when that, you know, when he's playing. Um, I know his parents' name. I know his family name, so his first and surname. And I know his age. And potentially I could abduct him. And that's a really scary thought. That's a really scary thought. I literally and- just, my just my heart just went in my throat. I had no idea you were going there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Because even me, even me, I sat there like tearing up a little bit because it's like, it's awful. It's terrible. But look at the intention. From her point of view, I'm sharing an achievement my son has. Right, awesome. Right. So cool. Sharing it with family. But it was shared in a way that was public. So anybody at all could go to that site. Doesn't even need to log in. So no evidence of who viewed that picture um, and potentially abduct him. And... It's horrible, but yeah, you is, don't yeah. think of it. So you have to think about it. And that's where that hacker point of view is so important Important when it comes to building a um, holistic program in an organization, building a privacy and you know family program, security in your own family. You know, we're connected so much. There's so much of our lives online. We have to actually consider what does that mean? And in some cases, that means locking down your audience, putting in controls to secure your account, like multi-factor authentication, secure passwords, you know, not making use of um, security questions or 
turning them to additional passwords, you know, those sort of considerations. But also, instead of posting that picture of her son, which is what I talked about in the episode, is maybe post just a picture of your son holding a football or a soccer ball, you know, not that certificate that had his name, not the uniform. You know, there's also those those um, articles I'm sure you've seen where, for example, that um, I think it was a K-pop star. She had posted a picture and a very enthusiastic, I, don't, I think that's a wrong way of saying it, but a, a obsessive person looked in the reflection of her eyes, I think it was, and was able to locate her. That's crazy. <laughs> mm. uh, it's crazy, but there's so yeah, much. Yeah. I mean, news channels do it all the time when it comes to, you know, I can't, I can't remember what it was, but a while ago there was that um, video of, uh, it was not like not happy. It was people were killed in the video and they were able to find out where it was and where it happened because of the... Um, background it, there wasn't like people or um it was in the countryside like um rural but um they were able to place it because of um i that's a bit above my skill i would say <laughs> being able to put the mountains in view but i mean it wasn't mountains but you know but um but there are people that can do that and you don't know who those people are so in right, some cases right. it's some cases it's used for good i'm not saying that i mean obviously i I have ethical in my title. I, I do it to spread awareness, to educate and to help people protect themselves. I mean, that's the whole goal of my entire life. I mean, as you said in my intro, I work with uh, survivors of domestic abuse. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. I know how vital it is and how scary it can be, um, how absolutely terrifying the unknown can be. But I use that to protect people and help people. There are people out there that have just as much skill, if not more skill. I mean, I'm not the most amazing ever, but there are people out there that have those skills, but they don't use it with a good intention. You know, they don't use it to help. They use it maliciously. Well, on that somber note. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I really, I, that that's actually a perfect place to, to end the podcast. Uh, it's, it, 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 it's really interesting. I often feel like, because I'm I'm not a specialist in in cybersecurity. I, I'm mainly I'm the make sure we back up guy, right? <laughs> and, and please, you know, and stop telling me that these things like Office 365, you know, you don't need to back it up because oh, of this reason. It's like you know exactly <laughs> right, and and so that's that's me, right? And one of the things that I mention a lot is this idea of an insider threat. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that the average person, uh, in fact, I've I've been sort of shouted down from people online that are arguing against my point, uh, saying that that I see the boogeyman everywhere. But but that's that I've been called out on that as well before, and they say Zoe, you have such a pessimistic point of view, and I said no. I don't. I have a what's the worst case scenario and how do we build protections against that? That's my point of view. I'm optimistic because I think that we can protect ourselves knowing that we can't. (laughs) Be prepared. Be prepared. Exactly. And that's not pessimistic. That's not boogeyman. That is reality. I'm a realist and I design things to help people so that I don't have to have. So when I go and speak about personal security i always have audience at least one audience member coming up to me saying thank you for what you said um i'm going through this and i need help 
or thank you for what you said. Um, I have a friend that's going through this and they need help. You know, thank you for what you said. Can you give me more information on how I can be an ally for these people? And and it's small things. Like I did a, a, a very quick lightning talk about Tails. It's a Linux operating system. You can boot it from USB. It's non-persistent. It's brilliant for privacy experts. It's brilliant for, you know, survivors of domestic abuse. It's brilliant for people, you know, that they need that safety because the reason I think everybody should know about it is because if you build a USB, a bootable USB, and you give it to somebody and you say to them, this can help you go online safely and with privacy in mind, and you don't know what they're because I'm not going to go to even being the person I am. I'm not going to go to you and be like, "Are you going through uh, domestic abuse? Are you are you in an abusive relationship? Are you safe?" I probably won't do that, especially if I don't know you. But I'm more than happy to say this USB will allow you to to access things safely. I want to teach you how to use it because even if you, I'm not saying you have something to hide, but it allows you to learn how to do things with privacy in mind privacy by default it's it's creating a a safer environment for you and everybody you know you know that sort of thing and then if you are going through that you can know one you have some place that's safe to find more information using this tool because you know it's not persistent the person that maybe is harming you or trying to cause harm isn't going to be able to plug it back in and see what you did you know because it doesn't retain that and so they also won't see you searching uh, through your web history, you know. But so, so obviously you have a safe place. But also, you know that I am an advocate of privacy, and so I will answer questions if you need it. And maybe, maybe you frame it in a way that you still still feel safe asking those questions without wanting to give me all the context. So I think those, you know, having these tools and resources are brilliant. And I think that actually talking about it and kind of demystifying why thinking worst case is so important. You know, why is it important to, to prepare for an insider threat? Well, Bupa, you know, they had, I think it was Bupa UK or International a couple of years ago, they had an incident where a lever copied a heck of a lot of data on um, clients and their, their packages because they were leaving. Um, most recently, I read an article about a woman that, you'll love this, she deleted so she was a part of the business. The business went bankrupt and a couple of those resources like business assets were used to start another business without her. She then gained unauthorized access to their Dropbox, deleted all of their information and then deleted the deleted. So permanently deleted it. And the company had to go bankrupt because of it. Like they, they can't, they, everybody lost their jobs and she was charged and you know they clearly didn't expect that to happen you know so there's there's right. so many parts about it and then also the consideration of insider threat being you know accidental like maybe i was social engineered and i ended up clicking a link or logging in and providing my credentials not realizing that i was assisting a malicious actor there's so so many complexities i have to say i i you are as fascinating as I was told you would be. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you will come back on the show. Again. I, yeah. I'm sad you're disappointed. I have so many talking points I wanted to mention with you. We, <laughs> I'm like, well, oh, I didn't get we, that. We, we are going to have you back. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm glad you know, Assuming you didn't, you didn't find us to be. But the, my only complaint is that you felt the need to translate the word football. 
<laughs> but, but isn't it isn't it called soccer? I I already told you I'm bilingual. Okay, sorry, sorry. It I might be know. for the listeners. I mean, you know? it, I mean, yeah. You did it for the listeners. You didn't do it for me. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. that's what it was. I, I, I'll I, I'll 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 withdraw my my <laughs> insults. Okay. All right. Well, um, listen. Thanks again, uh, Zoe, for being a part of the recording. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks Thank for having you, me. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> and uh thanks to everyone else for listening i uh, hope you stuck with us all the way to the end here this has been a great podcast make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all there was a file but i deleted it to pay your backup system isn't worth a spade finally chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space It'll be completely done. Maybe-